this whole horrifying tale is kind of like a sorting mechanism for people who are willing to follow reason and evidence and people who are swayed to be plowed under by the combine harvested prejudices of the massive mob that has gathered around this case. But I'm going to stick with the facts. Uh, the good news is I don't want to be doing anything other than what I'm doing here. And so I'm just going to stick with the facts. This is the truth about Ahmad Arbery updated the uncovered history, which is coming out and it's pretty wild. And I got to tell you, like a lot of people I respect slash respected are coming out with some pretty bad takes about all of this. But I will tell you the reasoning behind what it is that I'm saying. And maybe next time we can do this as a live stream and get some back and forth on this. So again, I'm not going to play the video, but here's something that's kind of underreported, right? I mean, did you know that Gregory McMichael, the elder McMichael, the guy who was 30 plus year law enforcement professional, that Gregory McMichael was on the phone with 911 during the shooting, like for the, a, a, a certain amount of time before. And then during the shooting, he's on the phone knowing he's being recorded. And so who on earth calls 911 to make sure that they record a murder if they're actually out there trying to kill someone? I mean, this makes no sense at all. So people have done the work, and I'll link to a video for this below. People have done the work to marry up the phone call that Gregory McMichael is placing to 911 with the video that the fellow who was following them and filming has put together. And um, it's, uh, the, the, the audio is to the right here. And here's what we see on the left. Of course, I've added these callouts. So on the very left here, bottom, Travis is holding the shotgun. Ahmad is in the middle. Uh, and the truck with uh, Gregory in the back is on the right. Now, it's about 20 seconds from when Ahmad hoves into view around the trees until he darts in front of the truck and attacks Travis, with the, who's holding the shotgun. And it's hard to tell, of course, exactly how far he goes, but taking about half the speed of a sprinter, he's doing a medium jog, maybe a slightly above medium jog from what I can tell. So a really good sprinter can cover 100 uh, yards, 100 meters or so in about 10, 11, 12 seconds. So... I'm going to kind of double it as a whole. And so he covers, uh, Ahmad Aubrey covers about 100 meters, give or take, a little over 300 feet. So he runs towards Travis and Gregory McMichael for almost the length of an entire football field uh, before this incident. Now, that's kind of important, right? Because if he's so terrified, why is he running the football length? You know, if I see a tiger uh, at the other end of a football field, I'm not running towards it for the length of the football field. So that's something important as well. I assume also Ahmad can hear Gregory McMichael on the phone with 911 because it's kind of loud in particular, right? So if they really wanted to shoot him, they could have, of course, shot him from here. They could have shot him any number of places, but they didn't. Now, some people are saying, well, Ahmad Abri was, you know, terrified that he ran past him. He was going to get shot from behind and so on. Eh, well, you know, that's not uh, an argument for attacking someone who is holding a gun. And um, again, he knows that Gregory's on the phone. He can hear, he can see. So again, this is just not, not what happened. So uh, Gregory McMichael says there is a black male running down the street, right? And this is him seeing Ahmad Arbery running towards them. And then some very interesting things happened, right? So let's just go back here for a sec. So you see Ahmad Arbery is running vertically down here on the bottom of the screen. And then you see he's leaning to his right. Now that means he's decided to run to the right. Maybe at this point he is um, trying to figure out if he's going to run around the truck. Now, again, of course, we don't know Ahmad Arbery's 
face? Does he have his war face on? Does he have his warrior face on? Is he yelling? We don't we, we don't hear anything on the phone call with Gregory and 911, so I assume not. So now we can see Travis on the left as the open door again. Travis has got the shotgun. Now it's a little tough to tell, of course, because kind of blurry. I'm sure there will be some sort of enhancements and people will have better ideas of what's going on. But the shotgun appears to be pointed down towards the ground. Not, again, pointed at. It's certainly not pointed up that I can see. It's not pointed at Ahmad. Ahmad decides at this point, it seems like, he's going to now go around the truck. So he's changed his mind a couple of times about which way he's going. And again, they could have shot him here too if they wanted. So Aubrey is making some split-second decisions here about how he's going to deal with the fact that the truck has stopped in front of him. Again, you can see to the right here, he's got plenty of room to run around. He could have doubled back. He could have gone to the left, straight left. He could have, again, knocked on doors uh, to ask for help or whatever, but he's trying to figure out how he's going to get around Travis and the truck. And he's going straight. He goes one way. He goes the other. And now it looks like he's deciding to go around the truck. Now, the camera is waving, of course. The guy's driving. He doesn't know how important this is going to turn out to be, of course, right? But at this point, we lose frames. But what we hear is Gregory McMichael saying something, and then stop that. Damn it, stop. And again, we don't know Aubrey's um, expression, his his body language. He could have a ferocious look on his face. I don't know, of course, right? But the, So who is he saying? Who is Gregory saying, stop that, damn it, stop? Well, if you are perceiving a threat in your immediate vicinity, and if you're trying to describe a situation to 911, to a 911 operator, then what you'll be doing is you'll be focusing on the object, right? You'll be focusing, in this case, on Ahmad Aubrey. You would be focusing on Ahmad Aubrey so that you can see what he's doing, so you can keep an eye on the threat, and so you can tell 911 what is going on. This is a situation of grave danger and escalation. So when it says, stop that, damn it, stop, I don't know what Gregory is referring to. Is he referring to perhaps Ahmad throwing things away? Uh, I don't know what he's saying. Stop that. Now, we'll see, of course, as we go forward, but this is really, really important that Gregory McMichael is saying, stop that, damn it, stop. Now, Again, we've lost more frames, but when things hove into view, you can see Ahmad, you can see the truck shadow down at the bottom of this picture, and Ahmad is now, you can see, turning. He's turning so that he's not running straight. He's now turning to the left because he has made the decision, I assume, to attack Travis McMichael, who is holding the shotgun. Now, the first shot occurs. Here you can see Travis is on the other side uh, it looks like, of the open truck door. Ahmad is out of sight in front of the truck, and then Gregory, still on the phone, is, of course, observing what's happening, and this is the moment of the first shot. Now, if Ahmad Aubrey is charging or attacking Travis McMichael, then Travis McMichael, according to Castle Doctrine, uh, he does not have to retreat. He does not have to back off. He can stand his ground, and I assume that it's kind of unimaginable for these guys that Ahmad Aubrey would choose to attack one armed man, uh, two two armed men. I assume he would have, may have seen the uh, holster or or that Gregory McMichael had uh, a weapon or whatever. So this is probably coming as a bit of a shock to them. But the first shot occurs on the far side of the truck, and then the last frame that I'll show 
is the fight, of course, and Travis on, on the left. Ahmad is on the right, and there is this grappling for the uh, shotgun. Uh, Ahmad punches Travis. They go off frame, and then the fatal shot occurs. So a fatal series of shots occurs, in fact. It's hard to know exactly which one would have uh, killed him, but I assume the final one was, was the coup de grace, so to speak. So that is sort of the physical location of what is going on. Now let's uh, look at some of the backstory. So what's come out now, in my last video, I talked about how there was probably a community get-together, a community conversation about the thefts and uh, all of that that were occurring, the burglaries that were occurring in the neighborhood. I've been validated in that. So this, uh, I'll put the links to all of this below. Less than two weeks before the February 23rd shooting that killed Ahmed Arbery, Travis McMichael had a confrontation with an unidentified black man who had entered the house under construction reported by the attorney for the house's owner. So February 11th, on February 11th, Larry English got a text message from a neighbor who had agreed to watch the property. This is the um, house that was being renovated or under construction, and it's reported in a very Weasley way as a construction site, which is not. No, it it was a house. The neighbor reported that Travis McMichael had encountered someone at the site, but he is, quote, unaware if the confrontation on the property involved Ahmad. So here are the texts uh, that were sent. The police showed up and we all searched for a good while. I think he got spooked and ran after Travis confronted him. Travis says they, sick, a typo, the guy ran into the house. Let me know if he shows up, uh, English replies, or they find him. I appreciate you letting me know. So, Travis McMichael said, this is a 911 call on February 11th, Travis McMichael said he had just, quote, caught a guy running into a house being built two houses down from me, right? So this is something really, really important to remember, that the house Ahmed Arbery was in, or was, uh, was viewed as coming in and then sprinted out on the 23rd, is just two houses away from Travis McMichael's house, where his father, Gregory McMichael, was standing in front when he first saw Ahmed Aubrey, as he said, hauling ass down the street after being found by the neighbor in the house that he shouldn't be in, right? So Travis McMichael said he had just, quote, caught a guy running into a house being built two houses down from me. When I turned around, he took off running into the house. Travis reported that the man reached into his pocket when he saw the caller, so he might be armed. The man was a, quote, black male, red shirt, white shorts. And security cameras, of course, recorded a black man trespassing on English's property on February 11th. English said he could not identify the person he saw on the video after the February 11th incidents. He reports that he did not report the incident to the police, right? So here you see, you know, the McMichaels saying, hey, there were a bunch of burglaries and and problems and break-ins and crime and so on. And say, ah, but there was only one report of the theft of the gun, which I think you have a duty to report uh, in these situations. But uh, here, of course, we have an illegal action, the black man trespassing on English's property on February 11th, that was not reported. So that's uh, kind of important as well. Now, let's look at um, some, uh, a little bit, a few more details about all of this. And uh, let's just make sure our autoplay does not kick in here. All right. So... There's a lot more stuff that's going on here. In the months before the February 23rd shooting death of Ahmed Arbery, residents in the Satilla Shores neighborhood outside Brunswick reported thefts, trespassing, and activity they deemed suspicious to police and posted to the neighborhood's Facebook page and next-door account a description of a man who'd been entering a home under construction according to police records. Some of these social media posts included security camera footage 
of the man inside the house, record set, right? So I guess there's a neighborhood, um, there's next door account, Facebook page and so on. Security camera footage of the man inside the house. So again, I said earlier that the, the neighbors had, had doubtless shared video and knew what was going on and had a sort of communal um, neighborhood watch kind of thing going on. So on the night of February 11th, Travis McMichael was driving his red pickup truck. So you've always got to put that in because it's good old boys, Confederacy stuff, right? Past the construction site. It wasn't a construction site. It was actually a house. When he spotted someone he deemed suspicious, according to audio of a 911 call, blah, blah, blah. Right? So this is what I said. He took off running into the house. And um, Aubrey, who was, who was 25, liked to jog in the neighborhood, his family has said security camera footage recorded the day of the shooting shows a person believed to be Arbery entering the construction site and leaving minutes before the encounter with the McPyles that left Arbery dead. Now, this is another interesting question as well, right? Arbery liked to jog in that neighborhood. But if Arbery is terrified of white people, why would he be jogging in the neighborhood? Like, if he thinks that all oh, these racist blah, blah, blahs and... If he's so scared of white people that when someone says, hey, I want to talk to you, he attacks and tries to take a shotgun away. If he's so scared of white people, why is he jogging in a white neighborhood? Anyway, it's not even a white neighborhood for that, to that point as well, right? So, um, out for a jog, stopped by a property under construction where he engaged in no illegal activity and remained for only a brief period. This is uh, from the legal team representing his family. And again, I don't know if he engaged in any illegal activity outside of being in a property under construction where he shouldn't be because again i've only seen a couple of seconds of the video where he was in there for four minutes plus right during the february 11th call to 911 travis mcmichael told the dispatcher he'd seen a man at the construction site and was backing up his truck to check on things quote i've never seen this guy before in the neighborhood he said he was breathing heavily during the call the dispatcher asked if he was okay yeah it just startled me mcmichael responded when i turned around and saw him backed up he reached into his pocket Sorry. When I turned around and saw him and backed up in his truck, he means he reached into his pocket and ran into the house. So I don't know if he was armed or not, but he looked like he was acting like he was. And that's responsible because if the police show up, it's really important to know, of course, if someone is armed. McMichael told the dispatcher that he was in his truck across the street from the construction site. Not a construction site again. While as many as four neighbors were out looking for the man. Neighbor Diego Perez. Now, um... That does not strike me as an overly Anglo-Saxon kind of name. So neighbor Diego Perez said he was armed when he left his home and walked up Satilla Drive that night. Gregory McMichael joined the search and was also armed, right? Sure, you think a guy who's got a gun, uh, who, of course, your dad investigated before and may have told you about or probably has told you about the um, the weapons charge when uh, in, in 2013 when Ahmad Aubrey was chased by cops uh, because he had brought a gun to a high school. Not a great thing. So the call, 911 call, 7.27 p.m., summoned police to the construction site, to the construction site on Satilla Drive. McMichael told the dispatcher, quote, we've been having a lot of burglaries and break-ins around here lately. And he added that his gun had been stolen from his truck in January. His home is a few doors down from the one under construction. He described the man as having short hair and standing about six feet tall, wearing red shorts and a white shirt. The police report from February 11th incident said that the owner of the home under construction, Larry English, had an ongoing issue with trespassing on the property. The report said English lived nearly two hours away, but he had installed security cameras that alerted him whenever someone entered the home. The report of the person in the security camera footage described a black man of slender build standing about six feet tall. 
English's security cameras pinged his phone the night Travis McMichael dialed 911. Security camera footage shows someone walking through the house and looking around. English said nothing was taken from the home. All right, so let's move on to the issue of the felony, which seems to be confusing a whole lot of people. Now, of course, remember, I'm no lawyer or anything like that, but I'm pretty good at critical thinking and I know how to read. So what is a felony in this situation? So a felony burglary is committed anytime someone goes onto a premises with the intent to commit a crime, any crime at all. So if someone goes in, let's say, and doesn't find anything they want to steal and leaves, that's still a felony burglary. So all these people who are saying, but nothing was stolen, don't understand what a felony burglary is in. Let me repeat that. If someone goes in to a dwelling, and this was considered a dwelling, but doesn't find anything they want to steal and leaves, that's still a felony burglary. If somebody goes in to case out a place, right, to see if there's anything worth stealing. Because, you know, if you're going to go there during the day, you're going to be able to see things a lot better in terms of finding something to steal. So if Ahmad Arbery was casing the place to come back later, that's a felony burglary, right? Theft is not required for a felony to have taken place. Because, you know, oh, no crime was committed. It was a misdemeanor. It was a trespassing and so on. So theft is not required for a felony to have taken place. Place. Now, when it comes to intent, well, that's a good question. The question is proving intent. However, in regards to the citizen's arrest and proving Arbery's intent to commit crime in a burglary, that doesn't matter in the moment. Proving intent is for charges after the facts are known. As far as the, as the citizen's arrest goes, Travis and Gregory McMichael, they had reasonable suspicion whether he took something or not. So all of the people who can drill all the way back through the tunnel of time and say, ah, yes, but he was unarmed. Ah, yes, but nothing was stolen. It's like, that's not how you make decisions in the moment. That's not how you make decisions at the moment. So, yes, he is a repeat offender. They saw him before. I'm sure they saw the security footage uh, or some security footage that may have been uploaded to the Facebook group or the other neighborhood group. They'd had conversations about it. And so... Did they have reasonable suspicion that Ahmad Arbery was committing a, a felony burglary? Well, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, if that's not reasonable suspicion, then I don't know what is. Oh, come on. I mean, the guy's a known thief. And Gregory McMichael knows that Ahmad Arbery had been busted for shoplifting. And he knew that he'd been busted for a weapons charge in 2013 when he brought the gun to the high school. So, yeah, known thief. Repeatedly in a building that is unguarded, where things have gone missing, right? So come on. I mean, let's let's be reasonable. I understand that there's definitely overreach and there's people who are weekend warriors and Rambos uh, in in um, in khakis and so on, but uh, that's uh, that's reasonable suspicion. So a cop, let's say that there's a whole bunch of gas thefts in a neighborhood, and a cop sees a guy at two o'clock in the morning riding on a bike holding a gas can. Well, he can stop that person. He hasn't seen them steal anything, but he can legitimately stop them and ask them questions. So who knows, right? And, you know, did he throw a hammer? Maybe the cops have the hammer. We'll find out as this goes forward. But they had reasonable suspicion for felony burglary based upon what they had seen and what had occurred in the past. So... I don't really know what to say to everyone who's like, well, nothing was stolen. Therefore, it's like, hey, I'm not a lawyer, but you're not lawyers, but at least I'm taking the time to look things up and to speak to people 
about what's going on. And was he just some sort of remodeling enthusiast? Like he just loved to go and see the progress of a house being built? Well, as far as I understand it, nothing much was being done because Larry English had health problems. He lived a long way away and he'd kind of given up on renovating this uh, waterfront property, at least for the time being. So let's look at the citations regarding force. A person who uses threats or force in accordance with codes, blah, 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 shall be immune from criminal prosecution, therefore, unless in the use of deadly force such person utilizes a weapon, the carrying or possession of, which is unlawful by such person under Part 2 of Article 4 of Chapter, blah, 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 right? So use of deadly force in self-defense. You're immune from criminal prosecution. Immune from criminal prosecution. So that seems important. It's more than just, you know, don't prosecute this kind of person. They're actually immune from criminal prosecution if they're using force in legitimate self-defense. Use of deadly force. A person is justified in the threatening or using force against another when and to the extent that he or she reasonably believes that such a threat or force is necessary to defend himself or herself or a third person against such other's imminent use of unlawful force. However, except as provided in blah, 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 a person is justified in using force which is intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm only if he or she reasonably believes that such force is necessary to prevent death or great bodily injury to himself or herself or a third person or to prevent the commission of a forcible felony. As I mentioned this before, right? Now, if somebody comes and grabs your gun, you have to assume that they're grabbing the gun in order to shoot you. Of course, right? And we have a sense of this, of course, as I mentioned before, because in coming to attack Travis McMichael, Ahmad Aubrey still had another man, which was Gregory McMichael, on the back of the truck, who I think he assumed was armed or might have seen uh, the gun. So it wasn't that uh, he was going to... If there was only one person with a weapon and Ahmad Aubrey went and took that weapon away, then okay, that de-escalates the situation if he's just doing self-defense. But there was another person with the weapon. So if he genuinely thought they were going to kill him, then let's say he uh, wrestles the gun away from Travis McMichael, then he's probably just going to get shot by Gregory McMichael. So that's not the uh, situation that's occurring, right? Okay, a person is not justified in using force under the circumstances specified in subsection blah, 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 if he, quote, Right, so now we're talking, we're going to swivet, uh, switch and pivot and talk about Ahmad Arbery. Was Ahmad Arbery legitimate in using force in self-defense? Okay. If you initially provoke the use of force against yourself with the intent to use such force as an excuse to inflict bodily harm upon the assailant, you don't get to claim self-defense, right? You don't get to claim self-defense if you provoke the use of force. And so when you attack someone else and try and take their gun, you can't claim self-defense because you're initiating, you're provoking the use of force. Now, here's another one. Very, very important. A person is not justified in using force in self-defense if that person, quote, is attempting to commit, committing, or fleeing after the commission or attempted commission of a felony. Hmm. Attempted commission of a felony. Okay, so we've already talked about being in the house unlawfully when you have a history of being a thief, when you have a history of a weapons charge, when you've been in there before, at night, under surveillance. Uh, come on. That is reasonable suspicion. So if you're fleeing, you don't get to use force in self-defense as far as I read this statute. 
you also don't get use force in self-defense if he was the aggressor or was engaged in a combat or was engaged in a combat by agreement unless he withdraws from the encounter and effectively communicates to such other person his intent to do so and the other notwithstanding continues or threatens to continue the use of unlawful force. Well, uh, he didn't walk back and say, okay, fight's over. So Ahmad Abri provoked the use of force against himself by attacking and grabbing the weapon. He was fleeing the commission or attempted commission of a felony. Again, reasonable grounds, right? And he did not withdraw from the encounter voluntarily. So I don't see how the murder charge fits here at all. Ah, well, but it's probably just race-baiting stuff that the Democrats need to just keep going until the election and they'll, then they'll forget all about it. And so this is the issue because people are saying, oh, well, you see, but the, uh, the citizen's arrest was invalid because nothing was stolen. Nope, doesn't count. Even if you don't steal anything, if you enter a dwelling with the intent to commit a crime, then you are guilty of a felony. You say, ah, but they didn't prove it. It's like, but that's not what a citizen's arrest is for. People say, well, don't be judge, jury, and executioner. Well, of course not. You, uh, you do perform a citizen's arrest to turn the person over to the police. And then that person will explain his side of the story. Let's take an outlandish example, right? So let's say that Ahmad Arbery was coming in and looking at the places because he wanted to buy it. Maybe he won the lottery or something, or maybe he wisely invested his money in whatever, whatever, right? So let's say Ahmad Arbery was on the property. They called the cops. The cops came over, or he was detained by Gregory McMichael in a citizen's arrest. And he goes to the cop and he says, hey, man, I own this place. I'm totally legally allowed to be here. And he shows the deed. And he's like, then the cop is like, oh, okay, well, you know, apologize to the man, Mr. Uh, McMichael, and, and everybody go on their way. And I'm sorry that your neighborhood is starting out this way. So the intent is something for the court of law down the road. You don't have to magically guess intent. Otherwise, you see, there's no such thing as a citizen's arrest unless somebody has a crystal ball and can terminate a style, travel through the tunnel of time and figure out what's on the other side. It's just not a reasonable standard, right? So someone is legally allowed to use lethal force for personal self-defense or defense of another. However, use of force is not permitted by a person in the commission of a felony or attempting a felony as well as fleeing from a felony or if they are the aggressor and instigated the physical threat this means that the argument that Arbery feared for his life and was trying to defend himself by taking the shotgun is completely invalid. Completely invalid. According to what I read, of course. It's for a court of law to decide, hopefully, fairly. So what about fleeing? Uh, we do know, and everybody admits, and there's no doubt about this, that when Ahmad Arbery saw or heard or maybe even was confronted by the neighbor who was on the phone with 911 that he sprinted. He ran, ran, ran. Okay, so is that enough for suspicion? Well, each state, of course, can interpret this slightly differently, but according to the Supreme Court, the primary case that is used in answering the question is fleeing grounds for reasonable suspicion is Illinois versus Wardlow, which was decided by the United States Supreme Court in the year 2000. And the quote is, headlong flight, wherever it occurs, is the consummate act of evasion. It is not necessarily indicative of wrongdoing, but, is certainly, but it is certainly suggestive of such. And the article says, therefore, the court held that while presence in a high crime area standing alone is not sufficient to establish reasonable suspicion, when coupled with unprovoked flight at the sight of the police, this amounted to sufficient reasonable suspicion to justify the stop. Now, he's talking about a police, but, you know, this was an ex-cop and this was somebody who was 
taking on the mantle of policehood for a citizen's arrest, right? Unprovoked. Now, a high crime neighborhood? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the house was kind of a junction, right? The unfinished house was kind of a junction for criminal activity, trespassing on repeated occasions and so on, and things having gone missing now. Mr. English, of course, says that he can't prove that Aubrey took the 2500 bucks in uh, fishing gear, the boat had been transported and so on. But as you've seen from the video I did last time, there is actually a boat. Uh, he said it was stolen from a boat. There is a boat in the uh, night area where Ahmad Aubrey was filmed uh, in the past. So, yeah, fleeing, according to the Supreme Court, from a high crime area, which this was, of course, a high crime area. So fleeing amounts to sufficient reasonable suspicion to justify the stop. So, again, those who were saying it was a bad citizen's arrest or they had no right to blah, 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 it's like, please just read the law again. No lawyer, but I can read. All right, so now the question is immediate knowledge. So people say, well, they didn't see him commit this felony, right? Well, so here's, here's a um, Young v. State from 1977, uh, a Georgia report, whether offenses are required to be, quote, in the presence of or, quote, within immediate knowledge of the arresting party so that warrantless arrest for misdemeanor by a private individual is justified, the result is the same as the two phrases mean the same thing. So in the presence of or with in immediate knowledge of is the same thing, right? So Gregory McMichael was on his son's front lawn. He heard the commotion. He saw his neighbor. He heard the conversation to some degree. Yeah, he had immediate knowledge. He knew that uh, Ahmad Arbery had been in that house before, uh, unlawfully and so on. So the idea that you can't do a citizen's arrest unless you directly see a crime and, and so on, and cops can't do anything unless they directly see the commission of the crime, uh, that is, right? You don't have to know whether something for sure was taken or not. I mean, the guy had cargo pants on. He could have stuffed anything uh, down there, right? I mean, could have, could have been anything going on. And so reasonable suspicion, probable cause, all of this is, uh, is important and seems to be pretty key uh, for, for all of that. Like a citizen's arrest doesn't become invalid if it turns out that the citizen's arrest was unjustified. As long as a citizen has reasonable grounds, like a reasonable person, when you look at this young man who'd been in the house illegally before, where things had gone missing, who's in the house illegally again, and who's running the moment he's confronted, if that's not reasonable grounds for probable cause to perform a citizen's arrest, let's just scrub the whole damn thing from the books and stop all of this confusion. But that's going to be, have its own problems, which we can talk about perhaps another time. What would a reasonable person believe at the time? Now, a reasonable person just in viewing this guy who matches the identity of someone who'd been in the house illegally before, where things had gone missing, he's back around, he's in the house illegally again, blah, blah, blah. Now, that's one thing, right? But remember, Gregory McMichael had investigated Ahmad Arbery in the past. He knew all about his criminal history. So if a cop with 30 plus years experience who's actually investigated the guy he believes is running down the street, who's performed a bunch of illegal actions in the past, who was performing one right then and who runs when confronted, if that's not reasonable suspicion or probable cause, then there is no such thing and we have to completely rewrite common law from the ground up. So, trespassing. So, um, here is a, another quote. Uh, a person commits the offense of criminal trespass when he or she knowingly and without authority enters upon the land or premises of another person or into any part of any vehicle, railroad car, aircraft or watercraft or 
of another person after receiving notice from the owner, occupant, or representative that such entry is forbidden. Was there a no trespassing sign? Well, according to the Mail, English bought the property in June 2016 for $120,000 and has built much of the house, which is marked with a no trespassing sign. Criminal trespass right there, no trespassing sign. So people who are like, well, I've gone into buildings before. Did you see a no trespassing sign and still go in? Probably not, right? Now, let's talk about the training. So records show that McMichael, this is uh, the elder um, Gregory McMichael, worked as an investigator for years without the required firearms and deadly force training before it was discovered by the office. When Johnson learned of his lapse in required training, she visited the office of the state's post-director, Mitch Jones, who ultimately granted McMichael a waiver for the training. He told his boss in a letter that was included in his files that the reason he had fell behind on training was health issues related to his heart, difficulties involving his teenage daughter, and his wife's cancer treatment. So, yeah, it looks like he did not perform particular kinds of training. And, of course, he may have been working more in the office at this time and, and so may not have been probably on the street uh, facing this kind of situation. Yeah, he was behind on his training before he retired. It has absolutely nothing to do with what happened because he was not acting in his role as a police officer because he was no longer a police officer. So, yeah, I just I'm, this is just grasping at straws, right? It has absolutely no bearing on whether he had reasonable grounds for suspicion for Ahmad Aubrey. So this is important, and it's really frustrating because, of course, we're all just being played, right? We're all being set against each other, black against white and so on, and the media benefits because they love to set us against each other, and the criminal's going to benefit because this is going to be another shot across the bows both to private citizens and to the police that you better really, really be careful when arresting black people and so on, and that's going to cause black communities to suffer the most. It's, it's just it's terrible, right? Let's look at the FBI homicide statistics, right? So August 2014 over Ferguson, right? I covered all of this stuff back in the day. So in 2014, there were 12,278 homicides. Now, by 2016, that had risen almost 25% to 15,318 homicides. So that's over 3,000 additional people who were killed to some degree because of fears of policing as the result of Ferguson. And again, sources to all of this will be below. And you know, probably, probably this increased homicide toll on blacks is not all blacks, but to some degree, right? This increased homicide toll uh, probably uh, ended up being higher than all of the blacks who were lynched, the number of all of the blacks who were lynched throughout all of U.S. history. And uh, this is just the result of this kind of hysteria. And it's just terrible to see everyone get played in this kind of way. Black communities are going to suffer. Hispanic communities are going to suffer. White communities are going to suffer. And the media is going to make a whole lot of money with us pecking at each other uh, like some hen party. It's just absolutely horrible. And, of course, it provokes more and more blowback and violence. So let's look at, happened, let's, uh, look at what happened one day after the McMichaels were arrested. Let's get into this story, which uh, you can be forgiven for not having heard because you heard almost nothing about this story. So, May 9th from the Daily Mail. Gunman 29 found dead after killing man 86 and his wife 85 at Delaware Veterans Cemetery. And um, the couple were at Delaware Veterans Memorial Cemetery in Bear on Friday morning when they were shot. Their names have not yet been released. The wife was pronounced dead at the scene. Her husband died in hospital. Police later identified the shooter as Selden C. Francis 29 of Middleton. He was found dead from a gunshot wound a few hours later in the wooded area. It is not yet known if the gunman knew his victims, right? 
So this is an 85-year-old woman who's white and her husband, who's 86 and also white, of course, both killed in a shooting veterans cemetery. They were visiting the grave of their son. And this is the uh, young man who uh, murdered them. Uh, absolutely uh, appalling, right? He, he took aim down a rifle, sniper style, and uh, blew this elderly white couple away while they were visiting the grave of their son. Absolutely appalling, right? So this is the cemetery that they were at. And um, there was a shootout with officers. The suspect fled into nearby woods. And I don't know if the husband died or not. The wife was pronounced dead at the scene. Husband taken to hospital in critical condition. And uh, it's just appalling. Did you hear anything about this? I mean, you want to talk about a targeted killing. You want to talk about an execution, right? This is a young black man, I would imagine, who had been following the Amada Arbery case and uh, was provoked into a blind racial hatred of whites and then blew away this elderly couple while they were visiting the grave of their son assassinated them from a distance like a coward and this is what happens are we all going to continue to get played this way it's i mean we don't deserve to have the civilization if we're so easily turned against each other so come on people i mean are we really going to have to go down this entire route again thousands of more bodies piled up more hatred more animosity more vengeance more blowback more hysteria Ahmad Arbery resisted police officers before and would likely have resisted police officers again, in which case it would not be an ex-cop, but a cop who might have had to uh, defend himself in this kind of way. And what did the McMichaels' father and son do? Well, they called the cops. They, somebody behind them filmed. They followed at a safe distance. They knew that Ahmad Arbery had had weapons charges, so they took guns for their own protection. And Ahmad Arbery went around a truck to lunge for a man's lowered gun. Right? Nobody made him do that. Gregory McMichael was on the phone with 911, knowing he was being recorded during the shooting. Come on. He had reasonable grounds to follow, to keep track of him. As I said before, he was probably concerned that uh, Ahmad Arbery was going to throw away the evidence of any theft that might have occurred and then try and walk away from it as a misdemeanor. And they were tired of the predation. They were tired of the thefts. So, yeah. Ahmad Arbery ignored the posted no trespassing sign. He got caught multiple times on security cameras. He got caught two weeks prior and fled the scene when caught again. He charged an armed man. And nobody even knows who pulled the trigger and probably it will never be known. Can this be murder when it's you're immune from prosecution if you use deadly force in self-defense. And if ever there was a situation of self-defense, this would be it. It only matters who did what legally and then who did what illegally. And coming up with all of this nonsense like, oh, so-and-so didn't deserve to die. And come on. Like we literally do have to grow up just a little bit more than that. Choices have consequences. And I don't know how much as a whole the culture that Ahmad Arbery was steeped in had an effect on his perception of white people. 
was he told, oh, yes, all of these white, racist, KKK, Nazi, blah, blah, blah people are just out there, hate blacks and just want to gun them down and hunt them down like animals and all the crap that LeBron James was spouting out after the incident. Was he instilled with such racial paranoia and hatred that the moment that some good old boys looking white guy said they wanted to talk to him after he was caught with the crime, he's like, they're going to kill me. Well, the culture as a whole is responsible for that. The media as a whole is responsible for that. And every one of you out there who feed the media money by clickbaking onto this garbage are also part of that whole cycle. Was he into, you know, his Ahmad Arbery's family seems to be pretty riddled with criminals. Was he into this destructive thug rap culture which glorifies violence and hatred of whites? Well, I guess we'll find out over time. But if we keep swallowing this bitter, poisonous pill of hatred and fear and paranoia. Well, you know, we blacks, we whites, we have far more, com- far more in common with each other than we do with those who rule over us. But as long as we're fighting with each other, we'll never be free. And that's the plan, you understand.